Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. What will be the outcome of the GOP civil war against itself? The media loves to report about how, you know, Biden's in disarray or the economy is tanking or whatever. You know, it's it's national pick on Biden week, I guess, or, or year in the corporate media. But what's going on right now in Salt Lake City with the Republicans getting together and hanging out is really, really fascinating. There's a little bit of backstory to this. And I think the backstory is even more amazing. And I'll give you that first. The backstory is that Liz Cheney has raised in just in the last quarter of last year, just October, November, December of 2021, she raised two million bucks from the institutional Republicans. Like George W. Bush maxed out his donation to her. And her opponent, Harriet Hagman, who is endorsed by Donald Trump, raised only $443,000. By the way, it's not just Cheney. This is happening to a lot of the Republican candidates who are Trumpies, who are not doing well, who are running against what you might call non-Trump Republicans. Lisa Murkowski, for example, who rejected Trump, voted to impeach him. She has raised over one, this is just in the last quarter, just October, November, December of last year, raised $1.4 million. That was twice what her Trump-endorsed rival, Kelly Shibaka, T-S-H-I-B-A-K-A, brought in, which was only $600,000. In Michigan, Congressman Peter Meyer, he's a Republican who has been just outspoken in saying we should not be the party of Trump. He's raised 530000 bucks so far, and John Gibbs, the guy that Trump endorsed to challenge him, has only raised $51,000. In Alabama, you've got Mo Brooks, the guy who's wearing a bulletproof vest on January 6th. The member of Congress gave the, from Alabama gave the speech saying, you know, we've, we've got to go fight like hell, right? Whipping up the crowd, essentially. He's got a rival. He's the Trumpy. He's got a rival, Katie Boyd Britt, who is more of an establishment candidate. She's a former aide to uh, Senator Richard Shelby, and she has raised $1.2 million, whereas Mo Brooks has only raised $385,000. All at the same time that Trump is sitting on what we know of at, at least $122 million, but he's not passing it out to these people. So the Republicans get together in Salt Lake City with this as the backstory, and open warfare has broken out. I mean, just open warfare. It's amazing. NBC News was reporting about this last night. Quote, Republican candidates need to make voters' concerns a central focus as opposed to Trump's day-to-day attacks, RNC members suggested this week. 
few will put it quite so bluntly, they are loath to antagonize Trump and possibly drive off his hardcore followers. Yet in interviews, party officials showed little appetite for organizing the GOP around Trump's grievances. Well, that's how it started, right? Maybe we can make this the beginning of a move away from Trump. And uh, there was this RNC member, uh, William Palatucci from New Jersey, who said Trump, quote, needs to figure out a way to be constructive and not destructive, help the party raise money and stay out of the primaries unless there's a really good reason. He stood up and, at the meeting and said, why are we being dragged into a primary in Wyoming? Other members, NBC News noted, were, quote, upset about Trump uh, earlier saying that uh, the investigation of January 6th should be, they should be looking into Mike Pence. He's the bad guy here. One Republican at the meeting said, Pence is a conservative Republican. If anyone's a rhino, it's Donald Trump. Think about it. That's how the meeting opened, right, with those two things as the backstory. So what happened? Well, the Trump faction won. The Trump faction still controls the Republican Party. And uh, Rona Romney McDaniel, the chair of the RNC, is like totally Trumpy now. And so the Republicans got together and they said, okay, we're going to throw some money to Harriet Hagman. You know, Liz Cheney raised $2 million, Hagman had only raised $400,000. we are going to help make that up. McDaniel, along with the Bossy, remember, remember Bossy, David Bossy, the Trumpy guy? He's been on this program. David Bossy was the guy who ran Citizens United, that took Citizens United to the Supreme Court. That was his case. So he's working with the current head of the RNC, and they are just like both totally in for Trump. And this is what Rona McDaniel said at this uh, joint interview with Bossy at a Salt Lake City hotel, you know, where they're part of where they're holding the convention this week. She said, we've had two members. She's talking about Cheney and Kinzinger. We've had two members engage in a Democrat-led persecution of ordinary citizens who engaged in legitimate political discourse. This has gone beyond their original intent. They are not sticking up for hardworking Republicans. And that resolution to censure Liz Cheney and give money to Harriet Hagman, her, her opponent, passed unanimously, or at least it appeared to. It was a voice vote, but there was applause in the room and all kinds of stuff. I think this is really going to hurt the GOP. I really do. I think the, that this may reduce substantially their ability to win in November. Now, the incumbent Republicans who are hanging on to Trump are trying to hang on to the Trump voters because they know that the Trump voters are the primary voters. They are the base of the party, just like the Bernie voters are the primary voters in the Democratic Party. They're the base of the Democratic Party to a large extent. And the Trump voters will get you through the primary. And that's what they're looking at right now. But I don't think the Trump voters are going to do well this is a shrinking slice of the Republican Party, as increasingly has been proven that Donald Trump engaged in criminal activity to try to hold on to the White House. He was a traitor to the United States. He engaged in sedition against our government as president of the United States and broke all kinds of laws. I mean, from the Hatch Act to campaign finance laws. Hell, Michael Cohen went to prison for three years for a crime that Donald Trump committed writing a check to Stormy Daniels that Donald Trump signed and Donald Trump told him to deliver this check to her. And he went to prison and Trump didn't. I think more and more Republicans are figuring this out and as more and more of this January 6th stuff comes out, Trump is going to get increasingly toxic. 
And the party is going to be left with a whole bunch of people who are like, yeah, we loved Trump, but I guess we were fooled. And that's not a great campaign slogan in a general election. My personal opinion, and I may be wrong on this, but I, you know, I've been doing this a long time. I've been to this rodeo before, and not this specific one, but many, many like them. And I am of the opinion that after the primaries, by July, August, when the primary season is completely done, most of the primaries will be done by the end of June, especially the big ones. I think the Texas primary is in June. After the primary season, I think you're going to see the Republican Party have to do a double take. Now, maybe they won't. Maybe they'll continue just totally in love with Trump right up to November. I think that's going to hurt them. And from my point of view, that's good news. So we'll see how this internecine war plays out. But the GOP war on democracy and now the GOP war against itself, this Republican civil war, not a good thing. This is the Tom Hartman Program. This is the place where despair is not an option. Get active. We'll be right back. Okay, a few other things in the news I wanted to share with you. South Florida seniors. This is, this is you know, what is going on with the Republican Party. They know that America just isn't that into them anymore. Americans have figured out the Republicans' games. They're only in it to give tax breaks to their wealthy buddies. They're taking advantage of the, of the 2010 Citizens United Supreme Court decision that said that billionaires and corporations can own politicians and, and, and political bribery is no longer illegal. It's now called free speech. So they are fully taking advantage of this. They are deeply in the pockets of the billionaire class and the corporate class. And that's it. And they, of course, exploit racism and homophobia and Islamophobia and any other kind of fear they can come up with. Now it's mouseophobia, you know, with the comic, with the uh, illustrated book. By the way, I mentioned yesterday, you know, the, 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 in the book, uh, the character's mother commits suicide in the bathtub. And the people in Tennessee are all freaked out about the fact that there's a naked woman in the bathtub. Well, what I failed to mention yesterday was that that naked woman is a mouse. Mice are always naked. Anyway, <laughs> it's like next they're going to ban Minnie Mouse and Donald Duck and, uh, you know, because I don't think they're wearing pants. Anyhow, in South Florida, this is what the Republican Party is, is reduced to. In South Florida, they're going door to door in apartment buildings where there are low income people or elderly people. Places where you have a lot of registered Democrats and saying, hey, we're just updating your voter registration, just sign here, and you sign there, and you discover that you are now a Republican, which means that you can't vote in Democratic primaries, and which means that the number of registered Republicans in the state is steadily climbing, which kind of gives, you know, when, when we discover that, hey, another Republican got elected in Florida, isn't that weird? Only, you know, if some, you know, 200,000 people were thrown off the voting rolls and, and you know, there were 300,000 uh, provisional ballots passed out that never got counted among, you know, in largely Democratic neighborhoods. How, how could it be that the Republicans are doing so well? Oh, look, here's the numbers. The Republican voter registration is up. I guess it wasn't voter fraud or election fraud after all. You see the game that these guys are playing? 
that they're setting up. This is like, you know, preparing the field for election fraud. I really think Ron DeSantis and his fascist tendencies, are, are, he is positioning himself as the guy to replace Donald Trump who will take down America and turn us into Hungary or Turkey. It really seems that way. So it looks like Donald Trump or people around him had cut some kind of a deal with the Oath Keepers, at least according to Tasha Adams, the ex-wife of Stuart Rhodes, the leader of the Oath Keepers. She said on MSNBC last night, quote, he planned to disrupt everything in order to convince Trump to declare the Insurrection Act. They would come in, everything would be chaos, and somewhere in there, the Oath Keepers would be placed in some basically brown shirts for Trump. This guy, her ex-wife, the leader of the Oath Keepers, he said, uh, she said he, he built escape tunnels around. They had two different houses that they lived in while she was married to him. And he did it in both cases. He said they were long enough that the kids used them to play in and call to each other through them. And at the end of the escape tunnels, the eventual plan was they'd lead up to a logging road out in the national forest behind the house we lived in. And there was an unregistered car there that would be waiting for him. She said, this was our whole lives. Our whole lives were about his wanting to escape the feds. Right. And uh, apparently with Trump as president, wanting to become the feds. Barry in Los Angeles. Hey, Barry, what's on your mind? I think I finally have an answer to the question that you posed and has been hanging over the show for a while, that being what the Republicans are really for. And it's it's real simple. They are for the corporate police state. And they have been pretty much since they stole the election of 1876. If you look back and track the legislation and the obstruction, it's all aiming in this direction. When you get the lunatic like Steve Bannon up there talking about dismantling the administrative state, what replaces it when it all falls apart? Right, the corporate state. There's nothing left. Yeah. Some years ago, they used to talk about crazy Republicans and, and country Republicans, and they were all police staters. You I can't know, disagree you know, with you, Barry. Do, do the legislative math, man. It, it adds up. Yeah. And we got way too close to tipping over. We've got to get some oh, comfortable still majority. way too close to tipping yeah. over. I mean, you oh, know, yeah. let's, let's, just, oh, yeah. let's just be upfront about this. We are still way too close. Barry, thank you for the call. Randy in Ottawa, Iowa. Hey, Randy, what's up? With all the things about the burning of the books or the removal of the books and all this other stuff, yeah. I wanted to make a note that The Twilight Zone and Burgess Meredith was a star in 1962 or 63. I remember it well. The title of the program was Obsolete Man, and it fits this time like nothing I've... He was a librarian, and he read books, and they were going to sentence him to death, as I remember, for reading books. Burgess Meredith tricked him, this guy who's political hack, who's yeah. up on a big stand, the Inquisitor. talking down to him. Yeah, the Inquisitor, and tricks him into coming to his library before they kill him. And when he gets there, Burgess Meredith tells him there's a bomb there and that when he dies, that he's going to take this, the Inquisitor with him. In the end, Burgess Meredith does not kill him. But as the man escapes the situation, the Inquisitor, 
he gets back to his job to find out that he is an obsolete man now. And <laughs> but it was all a, it was there all was always a double twist the, in those, you know. Thank you for the call. Kurt in uh, Akron, Ohio. Hey, Kurt, what's up? It's interesting how life imitates art. And what I mean by that is I was telling your screener, I'm a big old radio fanatic. And there was a program back in the early 50s, which you're probably too young to remember because you were born in back in the early 50s, <laughs> mm-hmm. called If Freedom Fails. Hmm. And it was a big American propaganda program is what it was. You mean it came out of the U.S. government? It it was part of the U.S. government. It was one of those U.S. government-type radio programs that was aired on the radio. Right. In fact, I have the program in my personal collection. But I remember the first episode. It was like an anthology. It was like an anthology series. Mm-hmm. And Gregory Peck was playing a museum curator in the early 50s. What would happen in the United States if an oppressive government took over? And he was putting together this exhibit about American inventions, you know, like the light bulb, Edison invented the light bulb and the phonograph and blah, blah, blah. Well, the boss over Gregory Peck, the propaganda minister, if you want to call it that, said, no, 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 you can't say that Edison invented the phonograph. Here are some cards that we need you to put on display with each thing saying that this Russian invented this and this Russian invented that. And it got to the point where Gregory Peck just basically had enough and said, fine, that's it. And he just started trashing everything that he put on display, saying that, in the sense, what good is history if we don't know the real thing? And, you know, how are the children going to do, you know, whatever? So I'm thinking, my goodness, this is like today. (laughs) It's amazing how life can imitate art from 70 years ago. Yeah, it really is. Or or perhaps more, more concerning. It's amazing how the warnings that our federal government was issuing, you know, 50, 60, 70 years ago are, are, are fulfilled by Donald now. Trump. Right. And, and like I said, the, the program, if anyone's interested, and I'm sure you can find it on YouTube, is called If Freedom Fails. Yeah, I'll check it out. Kurt, thank you for that. Appreciate the information. Anthony in Detroit, Michigan. Hey, Anthony, what's up? You know, I was wondering if you saw this video. It kind of went viral yesterday with the um, State Department spokesman and uh Ned Price, I think his name is, he was talking about Russia, Ukraine, and basically saying Russia is going to do a false flag over there as a pretext to invade. And, you know, the Associated Press journalist was like, well, where's your evidence? And the State Department guy was like, well, I just said it. And it went back and forth. And I just think that was really crazy. I can't believe that we as American people, I'm sure most American people didn't see that happen, but that we put up with that that's just like it went viral on twitter i saw it on twitter yesterday afternoon that that clip and and i think it's a great example of how we should be questioning government agencies and government spokespeople you know if if you're going to make or anybody frankly i mean (laughs) it was that that was the kind of uh, cross-examination or or dogged demands for evidence that you rarely see on you know the sunday shows or anything like that and my guess is that if there is proof of this, and it appears that there is, from the reporting I read this morning in the Washington Post, that the federal government will be coughing it up. And perhaps as a result of that press conference, Anthony, good on them, or on that reporter. Kirk in uh, Bremerton, Washington. Hey, Kirk, what's on your mind today? I wanted to talk about the resurgence of labor and the Teamsters Union, and just had an election last fall, 
after 20 years of Ahafa's son running the Teamsters Union into the ground, the members had enough. They almost got their union back five years ago and lost by a handful of votes out of when Canada voted. Hoffa lost the U.S., but he won Canada, and that put him over the top. Subsequently, he negotiated a horrible contract that was concessionary with UPS, and UPS has been exploiting it most egregiously with COVID. So as a result, they've had their most profitable year ever. They just released wow. their numbers for 2021. And yeah, so, so, so James Hoffa is out at the Teamsters? Yeah, um, he was... Um, Effective when? The new group takes power, I think, in March, oh. according to the Constitution. This happened in October, November. They're called Teamsters United. It's a really interesting hybrid of old guard Teamster officials who were previously affiliated with Hoffa, reformers with a group called Teamsters for a Democratic Union that's based out of Detroit. So this is like um, a, an insurgency within the union itself to take over exactly. the Exactly. And the reason that the poor uh, UPS workers are working under this concessionary contract, they voted the contract down and Hoffa imposed it through a loophole in the Teamster Constitution. And so (laughs) that's insult to injury. Um, But anyway, the contract expires 2023, and I think we're going to see 1997 revisited. I was in that strike that really opened America's eyes to what a labor union could do for them as far as reducing the reliance on a part-time workforce. And I'm reading this week that a lot of employers are just biding their time and insisting on maintaining that part-time employee model until, you know, the economy sours and they can impose their will on workers again. The current favorable conditions for workers and organizing, you know, uh, aren't going to last forever. And so they're, no, they're in just, fact, it's going to get worse when the when the Fed starts raising interest rates. Yeah, so the employers are biding their time. This battle is going to happen. The other thing that this group is going to do is go after Amazon. So I'm just asking you to, you know, keep your eye on the horizon and see what this group does, because I think it's going to really invigorate an already, thankfully, resurgent labor movement in the United States. Yeah, well, let's hope so. And and if they're taking over in March, then we should probably expect to start seeing some significant activity out of the Teamsters in the spring, basically. That's what you're saying, Kirk. It may not be as high profile as that strike's going to be, but yeah, you'll see what they're going to be doing immediately. It won't be business as usual anymore. It won't be get along, go along anymore. Yeah. Thanks for putting that on my radar screen. When we were in D.C., I, I we had James Hoff on the show a couple times, and I was a little more aware of what was going on at the federal level with the unions. Back here in Portland, it's more you know paying attention to what's happening locally. Thank you for that, Kirk. I appreciate it. Tina in Lindenhurst, Illinois. Hey, Tina, what's on your mind today? Why are people so selfish that they won't wear a mask? It's been close to home to me anyway, but recently my son and his wife, who are both teachers, obviously they've been wearing masks here in Illinois. They've both been vaccinated, the booster too, and wife was pregnant and she had to be induced around about five weeks early, had a lovely baby, um, and the baby one or two days after was um, had covid oh my positive and it it just makes me sad that you know this poor little boy he's fine now he's doing great Good. but when he first came home he was congested he couldn't feed luckily he had weight on his side oh. and i just you know why why the, I, 
why do people not understand that it's not just wearing a mask? What about these newborns that we have not, we don't know what's happening to them? It's because we, we had a sociopath as president, Tina. Forgive the interruption, it, but I'm exactly. looking at the clock here. Yeah. Um, the other, the, the other yeah. thing that I would flag for you is I just retweeted this. Uh, <sighs> somebody caught Glenn Youngkin, the, the new governor of Virginia, the Republican, in, mm-hmm. this, uh, in this store in Alexandria, as I recall. And he was walking around without a mask. Everybody in the store had a mask on except him. And this woman calls him out and says, Governor, where's your mask? And he's like, eh. Off my chest. It's got off my chest today. She she donated her placenta for research, which is great. Your daughter-in-law. My daughter-in-law did, yeah. That's great. Tina, thank you for the call. And and thank you for sharing your outrage. I'm with you. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com Hartman. That's netsuite.com Hartman. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly, patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Remember when the December job numbers came out? The December job numbers came out at 199,000 and everybody was like, oh, that's so disappointing. Is is there a problem? Well, they just revised those. It turns out December was actually 510,000 and now we've got over 400,000, you know, for January. So the numbers are coming out good. The economy is rebounding. You know, COVID is going away. And one other thing I wanted to flag for you, if if you cook and you use spices, Penzi's, P-E-N-Z-E-Y-S. Penzies is a spice company, and they publish a, a newsletter, a monthly newsletter. It's called The Voice of Cooking, in which they have recipes and suggestions and things like that. And uh, apparently their list is huge. Um, but they, in, in their uh, cooking newsletter last month, they, they're headquartered in Wisconsin, by the way, uh, they referred to Republicans as racists. And that immediately, of course, produced a backlash from the racist Republicans who started a Facebook uh, movement to boycott Penzies. And 40,000 people unsubscribed from their, from their mailing list. So they're trying to do a little publicity to get new people into their mailing list. So, you, you know, you might want to check that out. You could just Google Penzies, P-E-N-Z-Y-Z-E-Y-S, and, and uh, find their website. 
Uh, by the way, they, they note that they have 40,000 people who unsubscribed was only 3% of their list, but uh, still, you know, a spice company tells the truth. How cool is that, right? Picking up your phone calls, Randy in Bainbridge Island, Washington. Hey, Randy, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I'd like to draw a corollary between mm -hmm. the misinformation pandemic and any drug epidemic that there are frontline users, right, who are hungry for this and there's a demand. And then you have dealers and distributors and ultimately cartels that create the stuff. And, uh, and, and it causes a public uh, health crisis. And I don't know much about the uh, truth in advertising or truth in uh, broadcasting laws, but are there any laws to protect us from this uh, just misinformation machine that, of course, people like Joe Rogan can easily say, I'm just giving the people what they want. And yes, I'm making a lot of money. I'm capitalizing on this. I think with regard to this, Randy, we are probably in territory similar to where we were in the mid 90s with the tobacco industry. There had been efforts for decades to get the tobacco industry under control and all this you know, sort of stuff. And what happened was in the early 90s, individual families who had had a family member die of lung cancer or individuals who had been diagnosed with lung cancer but were not yet dead started suing tobacco companies for, for liability, for product liability, basically saying, you know, you, you told me things in your advertising that caused me to consume your product and your product killed me. And uh, in other words, you told me to do something that I ended up dying from or, or my you know, uh, father ended up dying from or I, I will die from. And for a while, for a long while, those lawsuits went nowhere. And then in the, in the mid 90s, a couple of them took hold and you had this, and then it became a class action and there was this huge settlement. It was like, you know, what in today's dollars would probably be you know, a, a multi-billion dollar settlement. It was hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, my old buddy, Mike Papantonio, was involved in this thing. In fact, I think it was the thing that really made, made his law firm. And uh, that was the turning point. That was the point at which the, you know, everybody realized that the tobacco industry was just as, as dirty as you can get, that they'd been lying through their teeth to us for, for generations, uh, that it was all about the money. They didn't care if people lived or died. I would, I would think, Randy, that probably the biggest potential liability that these folks in the media and in politics can, uh, would face would be, uh, you know, a family suing them because, you know, Uncle Ralph died of COVID and Uncle Ralph was a, was a, a, a true believer. The problem that those lawsuits will face would be the same problem that the tobacco uh, lawsuits were facing in the 70s, 80s and early 90s when they really... Uh, were trying when they were banging their head against the wall, which is how do you prove that this particular lung cancer was caused by that particular brand of cigarettes or that particular cigarette or mm -hmm. cigarettes at all? Because, you know, people get lung cancer even when they don't smoke. And it, it would be the same argument. How do you prove that Uncle Ralph actually got COVID because of what Tucker Carlson said or because of what Joe Rogan said or because of what, you know, Donald Trump said or whatever? And that level of proof is really, really difficult. It's, it's damn near impossible with regard to criminal liability. But, this, you know, if you're talking civil liability, it doesn't have to be beyond the shadow of a doubt. It can be just, you know, the preponderance of the evidence and or phrases to that effect. I'm not a lawyer, um, but I, I'm, I keep waiting. I keep expecting to see some sort of a class action lawsuit emerge you know, out of this. I mean, we've, we're over 900,000 dead people. You know, the TrumpDeathToll.org, uh, you know, is over 900,000 now. 
And uh, I'm, I'm just frankly surprised that there hasn't been litigation up to this point. But I, that's how I think it would play out. And that's exactly what happened, by the way, with, with Purdue Pharma. So, so uh, there yeah, you go. Yeah, it's, it's, it's an amazing situation of misinformation and the fervor for people who want it and yeah. then those who distribute it and create it. And uh, I don't know Trump's uh, organizations, but it seems like the MAGA drug is his biggest uh, business win that I that. Oh, it, it is. He's he's making more money now than he's probably ever made in his life, and he's making it by by draining the accounts of of you know elderly Americans who don't remember that they just gave him fifty dollars. You know, I'm I'm with you, Randy. And you know, and we'll see how it shakes out. It's it's gonna it's gonna take some time. Tim in Tonka Bay, Minnesota. Hey, Tim, what's on your mind today? The last meeting we had for Lake Minnetonka Living Liberally was back in February of 2020, and and you did a beautiful video for us of one of your books, and and we. Um, we hope to start meeting again, but I just want to give you a little update on the People's Party, if you have not heard about it, and what we're doing nationally to uh, become a party of no corporate relations, no corporate linkages, you know, no Citizens United money. And we're really moving in a great progressive direction because we're now uh, doing putting our national charter together for the upcoming elections in 2022. And I just wanted to give you and your great listeners kind of an update if anybody wants to get involved with the People's Party, you go to peoplesparty.org. We're the real deal, and we're excited about what we're doing. So, Are you running in campaigns against Democrats or Republicans? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, That's so our you're going to be sucking left-wing votes away from the Democratic Party and making it more likely that we end up with the Republican politicians running the show? We sure don't hope we don't want that to happen, Tom. And, and, and I mean, I can see we, how this would work in New York State, where you've got fusion voting. You know, there's there's a bunch of different yeah. progressive parties in, in New York State where you can be a member yeah. of that party, and and that helps you influence the Democratic Party. But I don't think you've got that in Minnesota. Well, we don't in Minnesota quite yet. We're putting our charter together in Minnesota, as we are in other. Why not get inside the, the Democratic Party, or it's it's called the 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 labor the farmers labor. What 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 is the Democratic Party called in Minnesota? The it's got DF, to, DFL. Yeah, yeah, I used to DFL. be a director for the DFL. Yeah, party. why not get inside the DFL and and change them? Well, you know, in, we've tried, of, Tom. We have tried. We really have. Just you know. I'd, hard as hell here and everywhere else yeah, but i you but know Nick i saw Brana, this whole thing with the green party tim and 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 ultimately yeah. you know it got to, you know the, the green party was being funded by republicans all over the country yeah well we're, we're not we're not nick Brana, the head of our group brilliant guy was a work with bernie for years so we really it, and we're just in an our but bernie would not endorse here. this well, he's, he's not putting us down. I'll, I'll guarantee you well, that. Yeah, he's, um, you know, in, on this program on numerous occasions, he's, he's talked yeah. about the importance of, well, of we're a rel- within the Democratic we're, Party, even though he's not a Democrat. He's an independent. We're a relatively new outfit, but we're doing good things. And I just wanted to take time to uh, say hello to you and make your yeah. have your listeners aware of it. You can join us at peoplesparty.org. So okay. All right, we, we, got, we, had, we only got good things to do. Okay, good luck. Thanks a lot. Jeff in Winslow, Arizona. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind today? Calling uh, to maybe solve the mystery of Joe Biden's uh, low approval ratings. And I believe it's because naturally when a Republican answers the phone, they're not going to approve. Right. But there could be many independents and Democrats that answer the phone and say they don't approve because Trump walks free. All Trump's gang walks free. They're all over the Internet. They're all over the news. They're everywhere preaching the same criminal behavior that they always did. And nothing happens about it. 
I think that's half of it, that's Jeff. I think the other half of it is that when those surveys were done, where his he was really in the tank, uh, that was the time that Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin were, you know, taking money from. Well, mansions deep in the in the coal industry and in the fossil fuel industry, and cinema was taking money from big pharma and from you know a bunch of different groups, and, and in order to sabotage the democratic agenda, I think people were just pissed off. I certainly was. I still am. You know, if somebody calls and says is Biden doing a good job, well, he can't get this through Congress. He's got these two Democrats that he he won't knock upside the head. So no, I'm not happy with him. That would be my response to to a pollster. Well, it, it wouldn't be mine because I get solicitations because I donate from senators where I'll never even I ain't nowhere near the state but mm. anyway once in a while they all got these surveys what's most important to you yada 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 right. never never do they have Trump as a choice and jailing Trump as a choice I gotta I gotta mark the other box and then put in there these words none of the rest of that matters if you continue to let him live because the only reason that's you don't mean live. You mean walk around free. Yeah, live like he does in oh, Mar-a-Lago. Okay, yeah, he thank could you. be in a penitentiary somewhere with his arthritis kicking in from the concrete and steel. Yeah. That's where he should be. I and mean, until that happens, it doesn't matter if we got built back bigger or what we got, because the democracy is going away. It's going away. So all these things that are wonderful for us to debate about if they're good policies ain't going to matter. Yeah. No, I, I, I get it, Jeff. I, I can't disagree with you. I, oh, you don't get it, man. Nobody is getting it because the DOJ says come May, they're not going to pursue any political prosecutions. as some kind of stupid, unwritten rule that they have. So this is February, my friend. We had a year. Nothing. Nothing. And it's going to stop. That Democrat or that Republican Mayor Garland that Obama picked because he thought the Republicans would vote for him, he's still a Republican. We'll see, Jeff. I share your concerns, but I'm not yet ready to, to turn on the circular firing squad. Zeke in Portland. Hey, Zeke, what's up? Well, a couple of months ago, Tom, I read a, a really good profile on the uh, fascist from Missouri, the Senator Josh Hawley. In the profile, it mentioned that when he was a very young man, probably a, even a boy, he was given a book that he says has informed his fascism, okay? And it didn't say what the book was, but I am convinced that it was The Conservative Mind by Russell Kirk. So I went online and I found, kind of to my amazement, the following thing. It's titled The Conservative Mind Summary and Review, written by Russell Kirk. And in eight key ideas, it's segmented into eight key ideas, it lays out, no question, a blueprint for an authoritarian, fascist, theocratic takeover of the United States of America. I completely agree with you, Zeke. I, in my book, uh, The Hidden History of American Oligarchy, I've got two chapters devoted to Russell Kirk and, and the conservative mind. I mean, you know, he starts with, I mean, the subtitle is from Burke to, to I, I forget who, who he goes to, but, you know, Edmund Burke mm -hmm. was, you know, a, a proponent of, of, you know, basically what today we would call at the very least oligarchy, if not fascism. So, yeah. I want to just point out that if, you're, if your listeners want to get educated on this, you don't have to buy the book and read it. You just go on the Internet and find on a Google search, The Conservative Mind Summary and Review by Russell Kirk. It's right there in front of you. That's I will, all. I will check it out, Zeke. Uh, thank you very much for the call. I, I salute that. <laughs> it's 
Although it may have been Atlas Shrugged. I mean, you know, if he's not saying what book it was. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Crazy alert for you. First off, the Alabama schools system, this is the superintendent of schools, Eric Mackey, on Wednesday told members of the House Education Policy Committee that they're having a little bit of a problem down. This is from Alabama, AL.com, the, the Alabama newspaper. Mackey said he's hearing from people who are calling to report that critical race theory is being taught in my school. See, it's illegal under the state law that they just the Republicans just passed in Alabama. You can't teach critical race theory. And of course, they don't teach it in any of the schools in Alabama. It's taught in one law school in Mississippi, uh, but it's, it's a law school course. But in any, in any case, he, this guy, he says, I had two calls last in the last week that they're having a Black History Month program and they consider having a Black History Month CRT. Having a black history program, he says, is not CRT. So now the Republicans in Alabama find themselves in a very difficult situation. How do they tell the parents that they've been lying to them? Is Fox News going to address this? I, you know, it's one of the principal sources of these kinds of lies and misinformation. Uh, no, we were just lying to you when we told you that they're teaching critical race theory in the schools and that it's all part of a plot and, you know, blah de blah and we've outlawed it and everything's good. Well, the outlawing of it is law, but nobody's teaching it. But you've got all these parents, all these white parents who are convinced that they're not going to talk about black people in our schools anymore. And now it's Black History Month. And the schools are teaching black history and the parents are going, whoa, that's critical race theory. No, it's not. They lied to you. Mike in Denver. Hey, Mike, what's on your mind today? Could I ask you a personal question before I get to my comment? Um, you can. I may choose not to answer it. Okay. I just want to know how you always stay so calm on the air. Like, you never seem nervous, like at all. I've been doing this most of my life. <laughs> I started in radio when I was 16 and got past that. Although, I'll tell you, Mike, given that it's a personal question, I still get, you know, my heart races as, as the show opens. I still get stage fright. And mm -hmm. the thing that I think of when that happens is an interview that I heard with J.P. McCarthy on WJR with uh, Jack Benny back in the 60s. I was listening to it. And Jack Benny, the famous comedian, and, uh, mm -hmm. and, and J.P. said, uh, you ever get stage fright? And Jack Benny said, oh, yeah, every single time I go on stage, my heart is racing. J.P. says, well, uh, did you ever think of taking Valium or something or having hypnosis to deal with that? And Benny was like, oh, are you kidding? It's my edge. 
And I think that's true. You know, that little bit of stage fright is that little jolt of adrenaline that really puts you into the, what do you call it, the slot, as it were. The mode, yeah. yes. <laughs> so um, my comment, I wanted to follow up kind of like on a previous caller who was talking about Fox News and just fairness in media. Um, so I actually, you know, as you know, I'm a big fan of yours. I read an article where you had mentioned that people that are in progressive talk radio, um, it's harder for them to break out, so to speak, um, like on a national level. And, you know, I think having a balance is a good thing for talk radio. And, you know, I'm, I'm seeing that, like, honestly, as a person, um, a younger person who, who leans more conservative. But I think that, like, currently the Democratic Party doesn't put as much stock in talk radio. And I think, you know, we should obviously, I think we should have equality when it comes to talk radio. But, like, what this would look like, I think, is if the Democratic Party would start buying up radio stations, much like a religious radio conglomerate, you know, would do um, when they're trying to kind of put together a network. Instead of if she's elected to FCC chair, she would bring back the fairness doctrine, which would, you know, give um, political candidates running for office equal time. So I just kind of wanted to get your thoughts on all that. Yeah, I'm not sure that the fairness doctrine is going to solve our problems. I think the larger part of the problem is the uh, consolidation of our media, which is the result of uh, the 1996 Telecommunications Act, and Reagan in 83 saying that he was no longer going to enforce the, the anti-monopoly laws, the Sherman Act and, and the others that followed it. And no president since then has said, we're going to start enforcing monopoly laws, although Biden's talking about it. We'll see where this goes. But with regard to the Democratic Party buying radio stations, I, I think that would be a bad idea. Democratic-minded billionaires or wealthy people or large corporations, I think certainly should be doing that. This show was first nationally syndicated on IE America Radio Network out of Detroit. IE America Radio Network, we had 27 radio stations around the country, plus we were on Sirius Radio. At that time, there were two satellites. It was owned by the UAW. And the UAW got out of that business, and, and frankly, I think they shouldn't have. I, you know, it was a good network. They got new management. But Frank Fitzsimmons either died or came in, one or the other, and everything changed. Garrett in Mossy Head, Florida. Hey, Garrett, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I just wanted to thank you for being a life preserver as we flounder in the sea of red where I live at. <laughs> thank you, Garrett. What's up? <laughs> Last week, I think it was either Monday or Tuesday, you touched on uh, the Manchurian candidate. My uncle was CIA, had retired by the time I got back from Vietnam. I was special ops over there. And we would sit and have conversations, very intelligent man, very elusive. And we would talk about, you know, the different involvements with the CIA in Vietnam. And then we got around to Saran Saran, and he actually worked on that project. Wait a minute, Sirhan Sirhan, the guy who assassinated Bobby Kennedy? Correct. Okay. Yeah, he was a true Manchurian candidate, and my uncle actually worked with all the other scientists and stuff that came up with the hypnotic and the drug and these things that, uh, you know, made him do what he did, because to this day, the guy has no idea what happened, you know. Mm -hmm. um, it's obvious, obvious, obvious Manchurian candidate. And uh, he told me, my uncle told me just as much as he could, you know, it was, it was horrific. I mean, it was my God. And it was kind of makes me wonder, a lot of these Republicans haven't already been, had the trigger word put on them because they're nuts. Mm. Uh, 
but anyway, my my brother Tom, uh, he came up with a kind of a good little thing. He, he says, "You know why it's so easy to be a Republican?" He said, "One, you just have to blindly follow, and two, don't dare think for yourself." Yeah, it does make life simpler. <laughs> I would think, you know. <laughs> I suppose it's 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 a sad thing, though. Yeah, and the, the Sirhan Sirhan thing is still, you know, it's still a mystery. I mean, they 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 recovered more bullets from the woodwork of that room than he had in his gun, and oh, yeah. uh, and yeah. you know, and and uh, so yeah, there, there's a there's a whole lot of confusion around that. Garrett, thank you, thank you for the call, and, and thanks for sharing that story. That's fascinating. Larry in Los Angeles. Hey, Larry, what's up? I just wanted to expand on the uh, jobs report that we got. Yeah, go for it. Um, you are the numbers man. Well, as it turns out, Biden in this one year has seen more jobs created. He's seen 7.25 jobs created in his first year. 7.25 million? That's actually 7.25 million, yes. Mm-hmm. That's actually more jobs than uh, Donald Trump saw in his first three years plus. When Donald Trump was at his high, he was barely approaching uh, 7 million created. Wow. And and this uh, seven million, seven point two five million that that Biden has seen, has also caused the um, the revenues to start uh, picking up, mm-hmm. and our deficit is beginning to drop cons- consistently, and it's it's probably going to hit a um, uh, go in overtime as it falls. And I'm begin I'm going to predict that it's a chance that Biden might even uh, see a balanced budget before he leaves office. Uh, and well, um, because and what, the, because the economy is cranking up so much, and there's that much more tax revenue coming in. Yeah, right. You know, a, a while back, most of the, our uh, revenues used to come in from corporate um, taxes. Yeah. Well, and and, and, and Larry, as I, th- as I think you know, I mean, the last two presidents to give us balanced budgets were Jimmy Carter and Bill Clinton. Yeah, sort of. Uh, I I think it was actually Johnson and Bill Clinton. Okay. Uh, it was Johnson's last his okay, last I'll, fiscal I'll year. I'll take your word for it. You you know better than me. When you sit back and look at what what Biden is seeing seeing with these jobs reports, if he's also got in his um, program to um, put some money into quantum computers, and that puts Biden in the, in the same category of that Bill Clinton was in when Bill Clinton saw uh, productivity spike and 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 actually balance that budget. Mm-hmm. If Biden can actually um, help our quantum computer industry grow faster and, and make computers uh, far more productive than they are today. He's going to see the same uh, kind of spike that, that uh, Bill Clinton saw in jobs being created. And he's going to do it without uh, uh, inflation. All of this inflation that we're having right now mostly started when Donald Trump was president, when, when we started doing quantitative easing. You can look at some of the prices. And as soon as the uh, quantitative easing starts setting in for, uh, for Donald Trump, that's when the prices started going up. It's almost a straight line. And then it went up even after Donald Trump left office, and it continued to go in a straight line. And now it's beginning to taper off, just as quantitative easing is also beginning to taper off. And that's because these oh, corporations, they no longer have the pressure to keep the prices at a low level when you're doing quantitative easing because their profits are still going up. Right. But now that their profits are going to start going the other way, the pricing is going to be rather difficult for them to uh, increase the prices. It's going to, that's going to slow inflation. And this is why I think the Fed chair was always predicting that it was going to be, um, this is a temporary thing. This, this, uh, yeah. I think he's going to raise rates. He knows this. Yeah, I, I, I think he's going to raise rates. We're going to see inflation come down. He's going to declare victory, and that'll be the end of it. It might even, uh, the, uh, the prices are beginning to curb, and it might even happen so fast, he won't have a chance to raise interest rates. And Republicans, I, I need to point this out, 
Every Federal Reserve for the, my lifetime, 68 years, every single one of them has raised the Fed rate when Democrats were in the White House. They've lowered it for Republicans when they were in the White House without exception. Wow. This is a this is a this is a right wing. Uh, uh, you should create that as uh, a graphic. Power. It's a it, yeah I I could but uh, and I actually went all the way back to my my birth date and right around that time is when things started getting a little fuzzy. But the mm. Federal Reserve has been getting more and more power as time has gone on, and then they added quantitative easing, which is actually just nothing but fascism. Uh, it it rewards corporations with all of our tax money and all of our uh, our, our money supply yeah this this was quantitative easing was when they were buying uh, bonds corporate bonds am i remembering correctly or right yeah right okay. they buy both, both both government and corporate bonds but right. both of those help uh, corporations yeah because corporations also buy the bonds yep and yep. and what that does is it it, it devalues dollars so when you look at uh, the republicans being in the white house and democrats being in the white house all of the Democrats have seen in that 68 years, all of them have seen the value of the dollar go up. All of the Republicans have seen the value of the dollar go down. Mm. That's the fascism that's taking place. It's happening right under our noses and we don't even know it. Amazing. Larry, thank you very much. That, that, you always knock it out of the park. I appreciate it. Greg in Tacoma, Washington. Hey, Greg, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom, I guess you could call this an irony alert. Okay. Um, listen, listen to your story yesterday about Jeff Bezos' yacht being mm-hmm. built in the Netherlands and having to dismantle a hundred year old bridge and and wasn't you know, it's like okay, fine, whatever. But then I got home and, and heard that uh Amazon prime rates were gonna go up. Yeah, up to hundred and thirty nine bucks a year, I think it is. They raised to twenty dollars as I recall. Is that is that so you can afford to raise the bridge, right? <laughs> <laughs> it may well be. It may well be, Greg. I, I find it odd that he can build a a four hundred million dollar yacht and and nobody blinks because they're creating they on cbs this morning they talked about how well that's creating jobs you know people building the the yachts and things but is that really the kind of jobs we want to create these days yeah exactly and that's they've been they've been trying to pitch that to us since the reagan era era you know yeah get a lot more money to rich people and they'll spend that money and that'll create jobs and won't that be great no most of it is going to go into an offshore bank account yeah they he might he might build a yacht, but that's that's a uh, you know just a drop in the bucket of what he's got. Greg, thank you for that. Uh, Chuck in Beverly Shores, Indiana. Hey, Chuck, what's on your mind today? Hi, Tom. I was just wondering if you read the book by Ruth Ben Giat called Strongman. I have not. Yeah, I was wondering might be a good person to get on your show and have her comment about the possible parallels between Trump and Hitler and the Republican Party and the Nazi Party. And I'm not an authority by a long shot, yeah. but uh, she did. And uh, could say whether or not that actually exists and, and whether or not Republican Trump voters actually are, are wishing for authoritarianism, dictatorship, and a police state. Yeah. Sean is making a note. Thank you, Chuck. Uh, thank, th- you know, thanks for the heads up on that. I, I, have, I have seen uh, Ruth, or I believe I've seen Ruth in print. Oh, she's been here on this show? Oh, no wonder Sean is making a note. Yeah, so we've, you know, we've, already, we've already had her as a guest. It's a good opportunity to get her back. Chuck, thank you very much for that. We'll be back, and maybe I have read the book. I don't know. I've got a pile of books around here. Jeff in Portland, Oregon. Hey, Jeff, what's on your mind? 
Tom, I want to ask you your thoughts on the Ukraine crisis. Uh, according to a recent New York Times piece, uh, Putin has some real hardliners in his inner circle. And that's not unlike uh, Khrushchev had back during the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis. Uh, so do you see parallels between now and then? And, and do you think President Biden can find inspiration from the way uh, JFK, with the help of his brother, uh, Bobby, uh, were able to negotiate um, a peaceful resolution to that crisis? I don't know if you ever saw it. Uh, and I'm not sure how factually accurate it is, but the Hollywood film 13 Days uh, with Kevin Costner, yeah. it actually did a really good job uh, depicting how hair-raising uh, those two weeks were back, you know, uh, about 60 years ago. So uh, do you see any lessons uh, that President Biden can learn from that crisis uh, and apply today, Tom? Hopefully. I mean, it's, it's the situation is reversed. Um, but the uh, yeah, I, I've seen the movie and it was and it is brilliant. And I lived through the Cuban Missile Crisis. I remember it well because we thought the world was going to end. I mean, we I was yeah. a little kid then, and we legitimately thought the world was going to end. Um, or uh, that was '62, wasn't it? Or '63? Um, so I was like you know 10 or 11, 12, something like that. Um, but in any case, uh, I get it. You know, I mean, I, I totally get the parallels. I mean, we were, the United States was saying, we do not want Russian missiles 90 miles off our shore. Um, Ukraine is not 90 miles from Russia. It is abutting Russia. And I, I, my guess is that the resolution of this is going to be, you know, Biden so far is saying, we'll decide who goes in NATO and who doesn't. And NATO will decide, not, not you, President Putin. But I, I really think that the way to stop this whole frantic thing is to, is to simply say, uh, yeah, we're not going to put any more NATO countries on Russia's border. And, uh, or at least for the moment, at least, you know, uh, at least until you know, we can work out something with Russia. You, we have to, on the other hand, you know, Putin trying to, trying to you know, threaten militarily, I, it, it's like you know, bringing a giant you know, club into the threatening people to do something that should be, frankly, political. But, you know, I get it. He feels like he hasn't been heard. This is a and tough one, Jeff. This is, uh, the situation is a hell of a lot more complex than it's being treated in the American press, frankly. He may realize that he's overplayed his hand. And, you know, I, I think just like the uh, Cuban Missile Crisis, Kennedy, JFK, gave Khrushchev a way out to save faith. And that was my point about backing down on the assertion that, that Ukraine could be part of NATO. Jeff, thanks a lot for the call. I sure hope they resolve this. I really do. Daniel in Manchester, New Hampshire. Hey, Daniel, what's on your mind today? Well, I wanted to counter an earlier caller. So an earlier caller called in asking how is Biden going to get around the poll numbers or what is he going to do about it? Mm -hmm. I think the issue there is, one, we know Democrats don't like to uh, hit back hard or even, you know, hit back with the truth sometimes if it's going to offend somebody. And two, the media, like the quote-unquote liberal media, isn't helping them out. You know, you ask questions about, like, how do you feel about your response to uh, uh, COVID or, you know, jobs numbers when they're hiding jobs numbers and they're not asking the question, uh, is there, do you think there's anything you can possibly do to get uh, right-wingers who will not follow science, who will not take a vaccine, even if it makes you... Uh, yeah. If, if it did you, Daniel, you. did you see what Austria just announced they're doing, the country of Austria? 
No, sir. What's that? They, they, I mean, and Austria has a huge right wing movement. I mean, you know, they were, they were more Nazi than the Nazis back in the day. You know, when uh, uh, they just announced that they're doing an absolute total vaccine mandate. Everybody has to be vaccinated. And they're they're going to roll it out in March. And uh, uh, if police stop you for a traffic stop and you can't prove your vaccine status, it's a thousand dollars. It's a four hundred dollar fine, and the second time it's over a thousand dollar fine. I mean, they're and they're just. They're 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 going full on. They're saying that's you know, it. And, and this country's going to be vaccinated. Damn it! I agree with the, the safety element of it. The problem is it would never work here, and I can't. Uh, I think it would work uh, fine here. We you know we do it with polio. We do it with small. We did it with smallpox. But uh, that was before Fox News. I, I can tell you, I am I, in law enforcement. I, I am in law enforcement here, and uh, COVID went through our training division rampant because uh, people in uh, positions of authority said it's just a flu. Don't, don't worry about masking up. Everybody's going to get it. So uh, they treated it kind of like chicken pox. Yeah. Well, did you see the with. latest statistics? COVID killed in the last two years. COVID has killed more police officers than all other causes in the last decade. Have you taken a look at police officers these days? Uh, I mean, we probably have some comorbidities. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I, mean, I, hate yep. to, I hate to be like that, but one, you, you match ignorance with uh, uh, laziness. And, and I'm not saying all police officers. Again, I am one. Um, but it is a right-wing institution, even though there are unions up, up north. Um, but it's, it's like you just said before. They are very anti-union here. They're, they're, you know, they're not, South Carolina is not trying to stay where it is. South Carolina is trying its best to go backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's just stuff like that. That, that won't work in the U.S. We've seen it. Lockdown will not work here again. You may be right, Daniel. I hope not, but you may be right. Thanks a lot for the call. And thank you for being with us today. Hey, special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick Hoyt, Gerilyn Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Spross, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabbermocky, Jay LeBlanc, Connor Arroyo, and Carne Verde for helping out with this show and keeping us on track. We've got uh, literally people from Oregon to Texas to the UK working on this program and happy to have them all. And thank you for your support of our program and get out there, get active, tag you, you're it. Be good to yourself and the people around you. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. 